Hello, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andrew Matišák, and I work as a deputy head of foreign desk in Slovak Devi Pravda, which, by the way, means truth, and it's not Russian Pravda. The election just took place in Sweden, and the result is that the country will be run by the rightist government. The Social Democrats, led by Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson, won over 30% of their votes, but it's not enough to govern due to the fact that the far-right Sweden Democrats are the second strongest party, gaining 20.5% of the votes in their best-ever election performance. How did it happen? What contributed to the success of the Sweden Democrats? Will they directly join the greatest government? And should we call them far-right? I talked to Nicholas Eilert, an associate professor of political science at Söderton University. Listen to our conversation. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on coffee. Thank you. For the link, see also a description of this episode. And now, up to the new debate. The far-right Sweden Democrats first got into the parliament in 2010 with just over 5% of the votes. It has 20.5% now. How was this party able to relatively quickly expand its share of votes? Well, it met a demand uh, in the Swedish electorate that was not being otherwise met. Its life was made easier by the other Swedish parties for a remarkably long period of time. It had no competition for attracting voters who were even a little bit doubtful or sceptical about the prevailing Swedish immigration policy. On that particular question, all the parties were in one side of the uh, political spectrum, and it was the Sweden Democrats alone at the other. So despite the very Uh, extreme roots that the party had had, it, it managed to exploit the fact that it was it had so much political space from which to attract uh, support. And the other party's reaction to the breakthrough of the Sweden Democrats was in some ways to make the problem worse. They competed with each other to, to show who could ostracize and isolate the Sweden Democrats the most effectively. And this simply allowed the party the space to attract even more votes and also to to establish themselves as a, a known political force in the spectrum. And that was really how they managed to, to become a fixture in the Swedish party system. Then we can talk about particular decisions in recent years, the, the party's own decisions, the other party's decisions. But that was the basic reason why such a, a party could make a breakthrough into the Swedish political system. While there was this attempt to ostracize the Sweden Democrats, later on, some Swedish political parties started to echo their rhetoric, especially anti-migrant rhetoric. The centre-right moderates are basically described as Sweden Democrats' light, aren't they? This is all true, completely true. What, what I was describing was the, the initial phase, the establishment of the party in the Swedish party system. But then since the great culmination of the uh, wave of migration into Europe in 2015, and then again in 2018 in Sweden, you're absolutely right to say that a new phase has developed And uh, certain established parties have moved their policy positions and their approach to the Sweden Democrats on a sort of bilateral basis. They've changed their, their approach and moved themselves closer to the Sweden Democrats. This is absolutely true. But that obviously creates its own problems, exactly as I think you're intimating. For the moderates, it's created a sort of double problem. 
some of their supporters, particularly in the big cities, Stockholm, I think, above all, have been so repulsed and appalled by the party's closeness to the Sweden Democrats that they've defected from the party. And they've gone either to the centre party or to the Social Democrats, but somewhere in the left block anyway. This has weakened the moderates quite considerably. At the same time, as they have established uh, closer relations with the Sweden Democrats, that has served to legitimise the Sweden Democrats and their message some voters' eyes. So if the moderates are saying roughly the same thing as the Sweden Democrats know, now maybe the Sweden Democrats weren't so bad after all. So the moderates have lost voters in the other direction, directed to the Sweden Democrats too. What, what this, uh, uh, this, this process, this trend illustrates is how difficult it is for mainstream parties to design a winning formula in dealing with, with challenger parties of the, uh, of the type of the Sweden Democrats. It's very difficult to find a strategy that works once they've established themselves in the system. Yeah, I think this is a very, very good point. And of course, in many countries, the, the more mainstream parties are, are somehow struggling with this. Maybe one specific thing about elections, at least according to headlines in the international media, one of the main themes or even the main theme of the elections in Sweden has been a wave of crime. Was it really? And did it help the Sweden Democrats? You don't know what was in voters' minds. Well, not very much. We had the exit poll, and the exit poll suggests that it was healthcare, which is the most important issue, as it usually is. But law and order has risen up the agenda steadily over the last few elections. 15 years ago, 16 years ago, it really it was a, a secondary issue. Now it's, 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 a, it's a very important issue. It's the equal second most important issue, according to the respondents of the exit poll. If that's an indication of what voters are thinking about, it's an important issue. If we also take as an indicator what the media is talking about and the media reports what the parties talk about, then, of course, it's even more important because the, there's no question the campaign and media's reporting of the campaign was dominated by the issue of crime and the related issue of immigration and the integration of newcomers into Swedish society. Now, these issues seen as the issues of the right. So you might have explained the campaign dominated by these questions to have produced an even bigger right-wing victory, uh, one that was, was some, something bigger than, than the one we seem to have got. To some extent, you, the Social Democrats managed to defuse the situation by also sounding much tougher on things like law and order and integration of newcomers than they have done in the past. Whether that was further legitimization of the, the rights agenda, or whether this was necessary for the Social Democrats to preserve their own vote, can be discussed. But sure, it was a campaign dominated by these questions, and those questions usually tend to favor the right. In my first question, I described Sweden Democrats as the far-right party. And you also mentioned that, you know, the roots are really extreme, basically Nazi. But saying that this is the far-right party. From your perspective, is this the correct definition? That is a good question, and I'm afraid there isn't a simple answer to that. I, sh I myself have used the term far-right to describe the party. I'm not now convinced that it's so appropriate. I've also used the term radical right, which perhaps is slightly more, more appropriate. A term that I don't think is really helpful in this context is the term populist. The Sweden Democrats are usually associated with other parties of this category in comparative studies. And the, the category is often called right-wing populist parties. I don't think 
the term populist really tells us very much about the Sweden Democrats. I think it does have a meaning, even though the term populist is usually used in Swedish discourse in any case to simply describe something that the, the speaker doesn't like. It's a term of abuse. But it, the term in a, in a more academic setting does have a, a content, a meaning, but I don't think it describes the Sweden Democrats very well. When you look at economic policy, moreover, you find that the Sweden Democrats are actually rather centrist, um, may, maybe to the left even. They don't share the sort of libertarian history or impulses that you see in some other parties that are often put in this same category. So to conclude my long answer to your simple question, I think it's probably best to describe this party in the way that it describes itself, which is a, a, a nationalist conservative party. If we compare it to other parties, I think uh, the Sweden Democrats have taken a similar path to, say, the French uh, National Rally, which has toned down its extremism, but in the broad sweep of policy could probably be placed on the economic scale, in any case, probably to the left of centre. And the Sweden Democrats have, have something more in common with that, much more in common with that than, say, with the Norwegian Progress Party or some of the populists you find on the right of British politics. It doesn't have that liberal impulse at all. Jimmy Åkesson is the leader of Sweden Democrats since 2005. Except that he is pretty successful, what kind of leader is he? Yes, successful is, um, is sort of self-evident because he's taken his party forward at, at every single election that, that, that he's fought. Another term I try to avoid using is charisma or charismatic because some people claim to be able to detect charisma as an explanation of political success. But it could just as well be that political success creates an image of charisma. Myself, I'm, I'm not sure I find that a very useful term. What he is good at is debate. He can judge very carefully when to say something provocative, which attracts headlines and provokes other parties' leaders, and when to sound sensible and normal and reasonable and not radical at all. And I think he, he does that in a rather in a rather clever, balanced way. What I think you have to say he's been most successful at, though, is maintaining control of his own party. Uh, we know that these sorts of, let's, let's call them radical parties or, or challenger parties, are often prone to factionalism, uh, to split, uh, because uh, people within them who, who don't feel their voice is being heard seem to be frequently tempted to defect and form their own parties. And there's this sort of um, fragmentation is quite common. What we've seen in the Sweden Democrats since Orkesson took over is a very firm, centralised control. He and a clique of other members uh, formed a very disciplined gang. They have purged the party on several occasions in order to get rid of uh, dissidents. And they have been very careful in maintaining the party on its path towards the mainstream. Obvious displays of extremism have been removed from the party. Lots of people have been expelled. The youth movement has been expelled on two occasions when it, it began to, to sound too radical for the party's uh, leadership. And this project, this long-term project of bringing the party in from the wilderness into the mainstream and having influence in connection with other parties has been very consistent, very steady. Good examples were the policies on the European Union and NATO membership recently. The party for a long time was against EU membership and was definitely against Swedish NATO membership. Both those policies have been 
dropped because they were serious obstacles to closer collaboration with certain other parties. And so they were, they were just dropped. How will the Sweden Democrats be able to affect the decisions of the government and the direction of the country if they join the government? And the key question, well, one of the very important questions that, that they will be discussing is whether the Sweden Democrats take part in government or not. The other model would be that they support a minority government, but without joining it themselves. Now, up until about two or three weeks ago, it was sort of accepted by everybody on the right, including really the Sweden Democrats, that they would not join such a government. Uh, but then suddenly the opinion polls indicated that they were pulling ahead of the moderates and were going to be the biggest party on the right. And that's what that's what happened in the election. And this, of course, changes the equation. Is it really feasible? Is it realistic for the biggest party of the right not to take ministerial positions, not to have a direct influence on the government? Well, it, it may be, maybe it, uh, that's that, that, that may be still what, what they end up as. An important question here is the Liberals. Now, the Liberals are at the other end of the right block. They're only a, a small party, but they have an important strategic position. Now, they've torn themselves apart in how they should approach the Sweden Democrats, whether they can do business with the Sweden Democrats or not. And I don't think that party could survive the possibility of the Sweden Democrats actually joining the government. So if I if I have to guess at this point, I think the Sweden Democrats will probably be compensated with something else, maybe a policy concession or some other clever model that, that keeps them outside the government. All right, that's the first question. Then the further questions will be about policy. And I think um, it's, uh, yeah, I would imagine that criminality is going to be the Sweden Democrats' absolute biggest priority. But that is probably true of the moderates too. So I think we'll see quite clear policy changes compared to the previous government, but policy changes that may not cause too many disagreements between the moderates and the Sweden Democrats. I think we'll see tougher police powers, probably moves towards higher sentences, maybe something radical like at least considering the possibility of anonymous witnesses in court cases, these sorts of, of measures to try to deal with Sweden's very big problems of criminality. Maybe that the biggest problems, the, the biggest points of disagreement between the parties arise in connection to economic policy. We've discussed the Sweden Democrats and and that uh, on economic in economic terms they're they're not a right wing party at all but the moderates have this sort of liberal conservative tradition in which they like the idea of lower taxes and more liberalization and and private companies and free markets and this sort of thing and that that could be a point of conflict between the two bigger parties in this quartet you mentioned that the Sweden democrats moved towards supporting the membership of the country in nato But how do they perceive Russia? Many European far-right parties see Putin's Russia favorably, but it is not the case for Sweden Democrats, right? It has been the case for some of them. The party itself has never formally adopted a pro-Russian position. That's never been the party's official policy. But individual Sweden Democrats have sounded more sympathetic to Russia and the Putin regime than almost than, than anybody else in Sweden, really. They've stuck out, even if they were fairly isolated individuals. Just before the war 
uh, broke out this February in Ukraine, Orkason got the question of whether he preferred Putin or Biden. One of these very simplistic questions that you have to answer quickly. Probably to his eternal regret, he said he couldn't choose. He had no time for either of them. He's been reminded of that quite a lot uh, recently. There was also the defence spokesman uh, for the Sweden Democrats, who was sacked by the party quite soon after the war started because he sounded more sympathetic to Russia than the party wanted to sound. So uh, there have been individual Sweden Democrats who who have sounded more open to dialogue and, uh, and understanding of, of the Russian position. But that is, formally, that is definitely not the party's stance now. And the question of foreign policy, European policy, I think it's fair to say that simply hasn't been seen as important enough for the Sweden Democrats, for them to allow it to become a, an obstacle to better relations with, with other parties. It's, it's just not the core of what the Sweden Democrats are about. Do you think that some other European far-right or radical right parties will learn something from Swedish Democrats? Do you think that some other European far-right or radical right parties will learn something from Sweden Democrats looking at their good results in elections? Well, it's, it's possible, I suppose. Uh, another party that uh, uh, the Sweden Democrats have, have been compared to and actually have had close relations to is the Danish People's Party. That too is a, a sort of centrist, even left-leaning party on economics with a, a very tough approach to immigration and integration and law and order. But that party seems to have um, almost dissolved itself now, almost almost collapsed. So maybe it's too late for that party to learn any lessons from the Sweden Democrats. If another party would be looking at the success of the Sweden Democrats, I think probably it would have to bear in mind the very specific Swedish circumstances that created the opportunity for this party with such extremist roots to establish itself as, as like a, a party that one in five Swedes votes for now. And in some southern municipalities, it's, it's four in ten. You know, it's 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 two in five now. You know, it's it's an incredibly uh, uh, successful political movement in some southern parts of Sweden. You know, really, really overwhelmingly successful. That there are specific Swedish circumstances there. But I think if any part of the Sweden Democrats' story c could be said to be most vital or most necessary for their success, it was the very disciplined, centralized control and the consistent strategy that its leadership has implemented. It's difficult to escape that factor as being necessary for the party's success. Nick, one last thing coming back to the election. The Social Democrats won, but the right will govern. But it looks like the country is divided into two basically equally strong political camps. I'm not saying that those camps are totally coherent. But what does this relative polarization mean for Sweden? Polarization has lots of technical uses in the political science literature. One variant is what what uh, is what's called effective polarization, in which it's not just that individuals reject each other's views; uh, they, they reject each other. That they see they see each other as, as somehow fundamentally an enemy rather than a, a, a compatriot. And this is, I think, what we very clearly see in the United States. That that's that's one type of polarization. And my feeling is we're not quite there. We're not quite there in Sweden. What what we do have is a reorganization of party politics. In some ways, a reorganization that takes us back to the norm in Sweden. Not in all ways, uh, absolutely. I mean, the, the presence of the Sweden Democrats is, and the, the strength of the Sweden Democrats is, is a, a historic change. There's no no question about that. 
But there seems to be something in Swedish politics that draws the parties towards two poles, a left pole and a right pole. And we don't see this in all European countries, but we do see it in Sweden. We see it in Denmark and, and Sweden and Britain and other uh, certain other countries as well, in which there's a sort of bipolar logic to party politics. That bipolar structure seemed to be smashed to pieces by the Sweden Democrats when they arrived. But now they've established themselves and we're getting back into something like a normal, a normal in Swedish conditions, two-block structure. The Sweden Democrats have more or less been accepted into the right block. And one of the old right block parties has switched to the left block. So we have four against four, two very, very evenly matched camps. And I would say that a very, very close balance between the camps. It's just a very, very close political race is what characterizes the situation rather than polarization. This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all the other platforms. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also a description of this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned.